silence is violence. It's no longer okay to not have those conversations or to be afraid of having those conversations. Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. What's up, everybody? Just like every week, I have an awesome conversation and guest teed up for you. Before we get there, I have two important topics to share with you. Firstly, we have all heard about the situation on the ground in Afghanistan. The situation is pretty dire for those individuals who worked with or associated with the U.S. military or our NATO allies. There are two organizations you can donate to, the International Rescue Committee and No One Left Behind. They are both working to get refugee status and get vulnerable individuals out of the country. Secondly, there is a core group of you who listen every week, and I want to hear what you want to hear about. There's a Google form that's going to be in the show notes. Let me know what you want to hear about. There is an endless source of people, interesting, articulate people who want to talk to us. Let me know what you want to hear about, and I'll make it happen. Now, my guest this week is a good friend of mine, Daniel Didi Takiro. He's a structural engineer by trade, spends his days surfing, doing yoga, and being fully stoked. We have a really nice discussion about his self-development over the last year, namely around his journey inward and developing a healthier mind-body-spirit connection, his self-education around anti-racism and allyship, and lastly, his path to financial freedom and learning about personal finances. Big thank you to Didi for coming on the show. Big thank you to you all for listening. Enjoy this one. It's a special one. And we're live. Didi, what's up, man? Dude, this is awesome. <laughs> this is so cool. Hell yeah. We got Fletcher in the background. The dog's barking. That'll... He'll calm down in a minute. Huge dog. <laughs> Dude, welcome to the, the Bro Nouveau podcast, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> it's an honor. Yeah. It's an honor. And I'm so glad that I've been listening to it and catching up on the whole vibe and the theme of it all. It's been incredible. Really fun journey. I truly feel honored to be grouped in with the, the other guys that you've had on here. It's sick, man. exciting. And I'm glad we get to do it in person. This is so perfect. Yeah. That we've had this time to overlap. Yeah, for sure, man. Didi and I met working. It was good. We're buddies. So why don't you give the the folks a little introduction, man? Who are you and where are you at at this moment in your life, would you say? Yeah. Uh, well, we met at working for Hilti. Great company. We hit it off right away, obviously. And we're still friends. Neither of us work for Hilti anymore. Last fall, I went and I was working uh, for a home builder up here in the Bay Area as well. And... Um, I have since stopped working for them as well, and I'm getting ready to move to Spain. Actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to business school in Madrid. As cool as that is, you're stoked. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm super excited for that. So I've been I've been kind of all over the place. Originally, I grew up in in Southern California. I grew up in Newport Beach. I went to school in Berkeley, so that's what initially brought me to the Bay. Mm-hmm. And then I got my very first job in New York City. So I was living in New York City for three years, which is actually so after Newport, and I went to Berkeley. I was at school. I was in school for five years. Um, and then I moved to New York City and I was there for three years. And those are the two longest runs I've ever had ever since then. I've been, I've never been in one place for more than two years. I went from New York. I went and worked for a travel company called Backroads and I was jumping all over the place with them, uh, basically m- almost month to month, a couple months in each region. Uh, and then after Backroads, I moved to San Francisco and I was there for only about two years. COVID kind of happened through a wrench in the whole gears of yeah, that whole yeah. plan. And uh, most recently, I ended up in Santa Cruz, and I've been living down in Santa Cruz since January, which has been an incredible, incredible experience and probably something we're going to spend some time talking about today. But I left my apartment in Santa Cruz just about a month ago. As you know, you helped me move out of there. <laughs> and we went down to, to back down to Newport where my parents still live, and we had a really fun time down there. Yeah. So, awesome, yeah. dude. So one thing I would like to know about you is that you're a consistently positive person, you know, and that's a trait that a lot of people struggle with. You know, a lot of people, you know, want to be positive perhaps, or just don't have that kind of happy go lucky attitude. And I actually had a podcast this morning, a different one doubling down today 
And the guy I was talking to, his name's Seven, he was saying, he was asking me how to be more lighthearted. And I thought it was kind of an interesting thing. So I guess first question would be, do you consider yourself lighthearted? And if, if so, how did you get there? How did you cultivate that? Man, that's a really good question. I, if you had asked me, do I consider myself a positive person? Uh-huh. I immediately would have said yes, but I feel like lighthearted maybe takes on a slightly different context. Mm. Um, but just to keep it simple, I would say yes. I think we could maybe unpack that a little bit more. I feel like we all carry around some weight, you know? Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I like to definitely think I'm a positive person. I've always kind of felt that way. I think that I've gotten better about understanding how to maintain that as I've gotten older. When I was young, my life was so easy and so good. I came very naturally. And then as you start growing up, realities start to set in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wake up maybe with more bad days than we did once once upon a time, or at least that's how it was for me. But uh, the key for me has always been, has been all about understanding my boundaries and understanding when to serve myself and take care of myself in the ways that I know I need to be taken care of so that I can then give the world the best version of myself. This mantra, if you will, began when I was in New York City and I did a yoga teacher training. And for anyone who's listening who knows me well and has heard me talk about this, has probably heard me tell this story many times. And I know you haven't seen Inside Out, but for anyone who has seen Inside Out, Inside Out is a very yogic movie. Let me just just paint the photo here, folks. He's got those like Euro looking tracksuit pants, a little 10 year old pair of rainbow sandals and, a, and, a, and, a, <laughs> <laughs> and like a, a Patagonia vest that also looks very worn in and very comfortable. So hey, I'm comfy right now, man. Yoga. I feel great. This is a great chair too. Yoga, yoga vibes. Yeah, absolutely. Yoga, yoga vibes forever <laughs> and for always. When I did my teacher, I did teacher training in New York and probably my biggest takeaway, my biggest takeaway from that experience was that life is all about the ups and downs. And I think that our community, our society puts a big emphasis on good and bad and like saying what's good and what's bad. Like you see it in, in advertising marketing, for example, like fat is bad, skinny is good, Mm. you know, light skin, white is good. Black skin is bad. That whole like contextual, you know, cultural subconscious that Mm -hmm. is pictured for us and happy is good and sad is bad. So the big one right here that we're talking about is like being positive, right? So like there's this whole societal context that's been painted for us that happiness is good and sadness is bad. At least that's what I've always kind of believed growing up and like living my life. And so one of the, this lesson that I learned through yoga is that it's not that anything is good or bad. It's like a yin yang, right? It's two halves to a whole. One side might be black, one side might be white, but that doesn't necessarily represent goodness and badness. It just represents two halves. And so the same thing is true with happiness and sadness. So, so on those days when you wake up and you're feeling sad, at least for me, what used to happen is I would wake up and I would feel not positive and I would be frustrated with myself. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I not feeling positive? And I would get kind of mad at myself about that. And then Mm. by being mad at myself or being disheartened by the fact that I wasn't feeling positive, it would push me further and further down because now I'm mad at myself for being sad. And And you're judging yourself. I'm judging myself. Exactly. And it turns into a downward spiral and then it might drag it out. And if you, for people who fight against or deal with depression, that's what depression is. It's that downward spiral that doesn't ever stop. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Again, coming back to this lesson that I took away And what is something that I carry with me always is understanding that when I do have those days, not to treat it as such a negative experience, but instead to embrace it. I actually have a a friend, his name is Cal. He's a a Cal Kevorkian, was a friend of mine from Backroads. And one thing he said that I thought was really interesting is that he he really loved sadness as an emotion because he thought it was a beautiful emotion. He thought a lot of beauty could be expressed through sadness. And I never really heard anyone talk about sadness that way before. In fact, that was, he had said that before I even did the yoga teacher training. So at the time it kind of stuck out to me as something that I found really interesting Mm -hmm. that he would say that. Yeah. And then having that the new lesson and putting that into the context, it makes a lot of sense now. And so what I try to do is when I have those days where I know I need to treat myself, I'm, I'm more of an introvert, I would say. Naturally an introvert, I can be very extroverted, but I would say I recharge when I'm by myself. And so that's the big one for me is like understanding when to be alone and how I can generate power for myself and energy for myself from that. So that when I do go out and I'm around people, then I provide that positivity to the people I'm with. And so like coming back to your original statement where like, you know, I seem like a really positive person. That's because when I, I try to do a good job of putting myself out there around people 
when I feel ready to do that and ready to provide my positive right. version of myself. And when I'm not feeling that way, I'll usually try to do my best to keep to myself or give myself the environment that I need. Right. It's not coincidental. Yeah. There's a lot of work yeah. behind that yeah. perceived positivity. And it's not all the time either. You know, it's right. not all the time. Like that positivity doesn't exist all the time. And I think that that's another important thing too. It's kind of like the highlight reel of like social media, right? People yeah. see social media and like, oh, this person is always doing something totally rad. They live in madness. <laughs> My life sucks because I'm not doing all this shit. That's a highlight reel. You know, they don't sure. take pictures of all the other parts, you know? And I think that's true too, even in real life, you know? Like yeah. we got to understand that as well. Like, you know, you see someone who's positive all the time and that's great. I think there's a lot of inspiration and motivation to draw from that, but you got to understand those people have sad days too. Totally. Right? I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. And dude, I'll call it on myself, man. I made an Instagram six months ago and I just instinctively click on that freaking thing. And every timer I set for myself, I click 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes. And I'm like, dude, how, what, are, what are these images enriching my life with? Like nothing, man, nothing at all. I know it. It just, it, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, we grew up in and around this environment. Like I've known that social media is toxic for the longest time, but yet I here I am, you know, I'm still scrolling, giving myself a neck I cramp, know you know? I know it, dude. I know it. <laughs> maybe it's not uh, something to be denounced, but maybe more treated like a substance or like an, like an alcohol or uh, a recreational drug. Absolutely. To be used in moderation instead of judging myself, right? Kind of looping it back around to your lesson. Mm -hmm. And the, the one thing that I want to come back to is you talked a little bit about boundaries. And I think that's a really good thing. Most of the people in my life who I've talked to about boundaries aren't generally men, only in like very specific environments, like the tea house in San Francisco. Those dudes are down with this whole lifestyle. But oftentimes I found it's something that men, especially straight men, like us don't explore or unpack too much. So in your, in your definition, what is a boundary and what is it? What is a boundary for you? I should say, cause it's a very personal thing. Well, I think in, in the, in the broad context, generally speaking, a boundary is just anything beyond which you are no longer being served. Mm -hmm. It's not about comfort zone. Com comfort zone boundaries are something different. Comfort zone boundaries should be surpassed, right? It's all right. about getting outside your comfort zone is, is generally always a good thing. These boundaries I'm talking about are more so about like serving yourself. And for me, that boundary I realized is a lot of like socializing, general mm -hmm. like socializing. And I think that's so much of what our society is, at least in the community and the network that we're a part of because of all of the fortune and favor that we've been blessed with, with so many things in our life that we get to spend so much of our life doing frivolous things such as socializing right. and partying and stuff. I've realized through the experience of being mostly alone living in Santa Cruz for the last six months and realizing how much that served me and how much I gained from that, then I realized that that boundary and the inverse, like looking back on how my life had been lived previously, or at least even in the last year before that, that that was kind of when that, that boundary started to gain clarity. Like it, right. became, it became lucid for me that by putting myself into social situations seven days a week and constantly trying to force that interaction yeah. is only going to drive me into the ground and make me a worse version of myself. And so I've, I've now realized that I can, I've, I've gained the confidence to respect those boundaries so that if someone offers to go do something, I can easily say, no, thank you. That's not for me right now mm -hmm. versus kind of feeling the obligatory. I right. think we all feel it, right? It's For like sure. you know, when people get invited to plans. It's 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 funny too. Like you start start to like notice it when you invite people to do plans. Uh -huh. Rarely do you get a hard no. Yeah. I think when you get a hard no, it's kind of like wow, like that person like respect, knows what they respect. want. Yeah, respect. Because most of the time it's like, oh, maybe like I'll let you know. Like, I'll see. Yeah, it's always it's always that. Right? This, Which that. is usually a clear indicator. That it's like no, it's either yes or it's like a, like a pretty soft hard maybe. Yeah. No. <laughs> You know, but it's never just like a no. You know, I think having that confidence to say no, like for yeah. me, that's like where the boundary is set. For sure. And one of the things we were talking about in the prep of the show was male friendships and how men often relate to each other. And I think one of the things that leads to more fraction male friendships or only surface level connections is a lack of respect for that boundary. Mm. You know, thinking about excessive drinking as a really easy example of... Mm -hmm. 
dude, if you don't drink this, mm-hmm. you're letting everyone down. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't go with us to the bar right now, you're going to let us down. Well, what if I don't have the money to do that or I don't want to? Mm-hmm. Here's my, this is a, this is a theory. Mm-hmm. So women are constantly having their boundaries passed and against their will, non-consensually overrun. So I think women understand what that is through lived experiences. They don't need anyone to explain it to them. But as men, particularly for us as white men in this country, there are not many situations that where our boundaries are challenged or we're made to feel uncomfortable, right? So that's kind of why it took us adulthood, you know, to see that. Totally. And I think that explains, dude, the male-female disconnect in a lot of ways, I think, is this that there are so many things that women, you know, deal with constantly. Even, like, things like, you know, menstruation, for example, Mm -hmm. that so many adults can't talk about. Mm -hmm. Men Mm -hmm. can't talk about without Mm -hmm. making a crude joke or, Mm -hmm. you know, getting uncomfortable. It's like, dude, grow up. Like it's a part of life, you know. It's like it's like a biological process that yeah. no one has any control over. Totally. And you're a goddamn thirty-five year old man. Like, grow up. Yeah. You know, and that's just like the smallest thing. And there, I feel like there are so many yeah. other perspectives that we don't even know. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think that's interesting just to hear you say that word boundary and, and just kind of like socialize that idea for the audience because, like, work for example, I think a lot of people struggle to have a healthy boundary with work and how many hours they work or how they see themselves and kind of associating their self-worth with their work performance instead of having that boundary of saying, you know what, as long as I try my best and I can put my head down the pill every day and say that I was prepared and I executed my strategy and, you know, I gave it a good effort, then I'm okay. Totally. Instead of being like, totally. you know, darn it, like 77% sales for this quarter. Totally. Like I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> totally. No, absolutely. I, yeah. And I think another good one is like nutrition or like self appearance too, right? Like yeah. not eating enough or eating too much or drinking too much. I think that's another one of the big boundaries that our society and people in our society deal with. Yeah. A lot. I think another one is maybe, yeah, like going back to like the work, work thing too. I think there's a lot of ex- external pressure that a lot of us receive, at least in the types of environments where we've grown up to like excel and right. be the best and do the best. And yeah. Knowing where those boundaries are for you, like being able to push yourself far enough that you're proud of yourself and you know that what you're doing is right by you, but not so far that you start to blend into this world that is beyond that boundary of like, what's realistic? What do you need for yourself? Like, are you doing this for, uh, for all the right reasons? Kind of a thing, whatever it might be. For sure. But, but I think what you just said is a phenomenal point about going back to the kind of that, the previous statement you made about how us as white males, Straight to straight males in this American society that's been created. That's actually really, really profound to say, because I think what that really draws back to is the whole topic of race as well. Yeah. Because when we talk about race and racism in America, in the very little bit of learning that I've been doing over, over the past little while now, trying to get myself up to speed with what it actually means to be an ally and understanding this whole process. Probably one of the the main lessons I've taken away from it is that there's so many experiences that people of color have that I don't even know. There, there are things that I've done in my life that I've never thought twice about that someone else has to think about every day for whatever reason. I think that what you just said about boundaries is a really good example of it. You know, like for women, in the case of women, like they're having their boundaries breached all the time. They have a really good understanding of it. I'm 30 years old and I'm just now starting to understand what one of my boundaries might be. And I think the same thing is is probably very true for people of color. Um, not necessarily about boundaries, but just about life experiences in general um, or yeah. boundaries too. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. I really wonder how this period of history will be taught because my absorption of like what I was taught or what I like, yeah, what I absorbed in school was, yeah, whitewashed, washed over kind of narrative of what happened and, and then kind of this whole colorblind narrative of like, and now it's okay. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. this world is fine. And this is, this is the way it is. And that's mm-hmm. fine. And we don't talk about it. We don't bring mm-hmm. it up. We don't mm-hmm. challenge it. Now all these other people, including us are kind of taking notice and caring more. And so I just wonder yeah, how will this hit period be taught in history? You know, will this be like described as 
the moment when America started to own the legacy and, and kind of started to started to dismantle, you know, the, the legacy of structural racism mm-hmm. or will this be talk like it was a line of like from 2014 to 2021, there was yeah. some flaming progressives who tried to yeah. destroy our beautiful history and, yeah. and, and freedoms. And then they were defeated. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> how will it be taught? Right. No, I know. I guess it's like, what, the, what do they say? Like the, the victor writes the textbooks or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know? So you just did this, this fundraiser around, you know, educating your network, bringing up these topics of, of inequality. And I would like to hear a little bit about that. And then also, as like white guys talking about this, I don't know. Our motivations are are good, I think, but they're also like it could be problematic too in some ways. Obi, who was on last week, who kind of pointed out there is so much insincerity that goes on white people talking about race. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting to me. I feel it on myself of like, is there a too much? Is there an overdoing it? Interesting. You know, I wonder what the audience thinks. Like, are they like, all right, dude, I get it. Yeah. How much you can talk about this? Yeah. So I would like to hear a little bit about you know what was this project you did this fundraiser? Yeah. And then also, did you think about how it was going to be received. First of all, I, I don't think that it can be talked about too much. I, I kind of see the perspective of like, it's kind of like the white savior thing. It's like, oh, we're two white guys talking about it. So good for us kind of. But right. I think that by talking about it, we're breaking it out of that taboo. Because another statement you said just previously was that, oh, now everything's good. Like in the textbooks, right? It's like, now everything's good. So we don't talk about it anymore. Right. That's what's kept it into this in this realm of uncertainty and awkwardness and taboo that keeps it in kind of on a pedestal in a way. Right. I think by talking about it more, we kind of normalize it. So I, I first of all think that although there are the, the, the white savior things and all those other kind of contexts that can certainly be manifested, I don't think that talking about it is ever, is ever going to be a problem. And I think that's kind of what needs to start happening more. And I think that, well, that's really what the whole mission behind my fundraiser was. So I was actually part of a discussion group starting in January. It was a six part discussion group put together by some friends of mine. It was really cool. It was called waking up to race, really, really well done curated resources where we had some really thought provoking questions that came along with a set of videos and papers and articles and stuff like that, that we read and, and then got together once a month and talked about. And it was purely just, for me, at least it was very much an educational experience, learning about the history of it, learning about the modern day issues and the contexts um, that play into everything related to the BIPOC experience specifically in America. And so in parallel to that, a, an opportunity for me to do a big bike ride presented itself. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I rode my bike 500 miles from Oregon to San Francisco. It was actually 485 miles from Grant Pass, where I departed in Oregon to San Francisco, but I threw an extra 15 mile day on the end because 500 just sounds so much better than 485. So that was it. But then my <laughs> sisters, my brilliant sisters, suggested that I do put a cause behind it because why not? And so it seemed pretty obvious to me that that would be a good cause since I was in this discussion group. And obviously it's very relevant. It's always relevant. It's part, yeah. of, part of our society. And so, and so my whole mission with this fundraiser was simply to share some of these resources with my network and with my community for a purely educational standpoint. I didn't necessarily think so much about how it would re- be received until people started asking me that question. Because at first, my intention, oh, my intention was like, yeah, this is really information, good and in- educational information. I want to share this with people that I know. And once I started suggesting what I was going to do to people, they asked me that exact question, provided that same context that you just said, like, well, you might want to be careful. You know, you might want to come across as like the white savior, this and that, and all these other kind of subliminal messaging yeah. that might be going along with it. And I hadn't even thought about that yet. And that's good. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I can, I guess I can see how it can be construed that way. But I think that at this point, the main goal that we should have is, is normalizing it and talking about it. And again, my, my, the only thing I wanted to do with it was to provide some education and put it out there, just to let people read and listen and watch some of the things that I had seen and let them form their own opinions and form their own beliefs about it. So that was really my whole goal. It was received extremely well, unanimously across the board. I have to admit most of my network is is white, but I do have some black friends and some other minority group friends and it was received well by by everyone. I was super, super excited to do it. 
Nice. Uh, so it, it turned out really well. We, we raised a ton of money. I put a goal of like $5,000 on my GoFundMe. We raised over 8,000, which is tremendous. Epic. Yeah. So we're actually donating the money to an organization called Live Free. And they are a coalition that is striving to end gun violence and mass incarceration by bolstering community infrastructure in specifically in communities of color. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we're super happy to help out in the tiny little way that we can. Obviously, there's so much to be done and so much more to be done. And I think that money can only really solve a small little piece of it. So this was really just the first tiny little baby step for me after having coming out of this discussion group and then doing this ride to at least get the ball rolling for me on a lifelong journey towards being an ally and understanding what it actually means to try to dismantle racism and systemic racism and institutional racism. It's a pretty Herculean task. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's easy to, to get, wrap your head around. It's easy to get overwhelmed. But I think, dude, I mean, me even asking those questions just shows my own, I guess, vulnerability around it. And the fact that I feel like I've stepped out is a reflection of the whole problem, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. instead of being like, Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. I'm mm-hmm. trying to talk about talk about this with my with my friends. Publish it. Maybe one or two people will mm-hmm. think differently about mm-hmm. you know their their outlook, their biases. So, but yeah, good on you, man. And yeah. you know, congratulations for Thanks. raising that money, dude. That's super dope. Yeah, it's exciting. It's super dope. Yeah, yeah. Good man. So That's I guess fun. what would be your one takeaway then? You know, from the the discussion group and readings you did. What would be like? What's one thing you think should be known? I think what we just talked about is silence is violence. When you're at the protests, you hear people saying it silence is violence, right? Up until this kind of chapter. And like, this has been going on, right? Since they say 2014, 2013, 2012, every year, yeah, every year since the beginning of time, this has been going on. And I think that there has been this idea that people of color need to rise up for themselves. And it's not up to the white man to be the savior. The, what we just talked about plays into, I think, the the mentality that has been accepted in our society up until recently. And I think that the big change that happened this year is that that status quo, I've, I believe, is now being flipped. Because going to the protests and hearing what people are saying and seeing what the signs are saying, silence is violence. It's no longer okay to not have those conversations or to be afraid of having those conversations. So again, just going back to the original question that I don't think it's ever too much to, to talk about this stuff. I think that mistakes are going to be made. I know that I've made mistakes myself talking about it simply because it's such an unfamiliar topic for me. But I think the more that we start talking about it, the more comfortable we get with it. And uh, I think the more understanding we start to build. So that that's the one takeaway is you just got to start by starting. Get educated and and talk about it. Don't be afraid to have those conversations and put yourself out there. Right on, man. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. Let's flip it towards your time your journey inward Mm -hmm. i think that that's really interesting you my perception is that you know you you had this time living in santa cruz Mm -hmm. you had a job that was remote for the most of the time and you had Mm -hmm. time to yourself and you were able to really like you said kind of realize these individual individual periods are good for you energizing Mm -hmm. do this reading do self-discovery so Mm -hmm. for somebody who has never done a journey inward mm-hmm. and is curious to learn more about themselves and kind of get connected to their, their real selves. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend they, they start that? Well, I guess, first of all, I think it's important to understand that it's probably not for everyone because mm-hmm. there definitely are natural extroverts out there who will charge up by being around people and by putting themselves in an isolated environment <laughs> could probably cause more harm than good. <laughs> right, right. So that would be like the first kind of precursor. But for those of us who do enjoy our alone time and feel that we gain more from it than we lose, I think that there's just so much, so much to be gained from having an experience like that. And this isn't like the show alone where they're absolutely alone for like a hundred days going crazy. Like yeah. that sounds pretty traumatizing. But um, <laughs> for me, at least it was moving to a city that I barely knew anyone. I had my cousin, Amy, uh, her husband, Jamie, and that was about it. So, you know, I would see some of her friends every once in a while, but for the most part, I didn't really know anyone down there. And so in this particular case, I was very fortunate, blessed and lucky to have the opportunity where with 
all the perfect storm of COVID happening and having the remote access of my job to, and, and the opportunity to actually move myself to a place like this. I don't know if that would ever really present itself again. Then again, here I am going off to Spain where I don't really know anyone. So I guess I'm manifesting <laughs> these things for myself. But uh, I think just starting to manifest those moments, even if, even say if, if someone's living in a city and they've been, you know, for anyone listening out there, if, if you feel like you might connect with that solid solitude and solidarity in a way that you haven't really experienced, but you're curious about, you don't necessarily need to uproot your life for it. But I think it's maybe just taking more opportunities to say no about, you know, having going out and doing things and like not just saying no and then like flopping on the couch and watching TV or something like that, but actually like being more intentional with that time right? and really trying to see like what you can gain from it. Obviously, if you do have the opportunity to put yourself in a geographic situation where you can really connect with things that inspire you and give you like meditative practice, that's probably going to be the most powerful. So for me, when I was in Santa Cruz, it was surfing and yoga and having those two things, which are my movement meditations and my escapes from reality in a way, it harnessed so much power within me that I was able to stay hyper-focused on the things I was doing when I would be in front of my computer, doing logistical stuff, doing research, business-related work. By having that that solitude and having those you know movement practices, keeping my body active and nimble and everything, it put me into a place that I really hadn't experienced before. It was like the opposite of what I had done in New York. When I'd been in New York six years earlier and I was partying all the time and all this stuff, my body and my soul and my everything was kind of completely spread like you know, butter thinly spread across toast where you can't even taste it anymore. Kind of a thing. You, know? <laughs> you love it's your like, vessels. It's, yeah. it's there, but it's like, it's not really there, you know? And like, in this case, it was like the opposite of that, you know, it was just like a big old buttery croissant, you know, just like, everybody oh, yeah. was just delicious. And- <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hearing you can find those moments of solitude anywhere. I think you can. I think, yeah. I think that it really, first of all, I think it's, it's a matter of really wanting to discover that. And I think that when you get to a place in your life where you start to realize that something isn't serving you or you need to change something, then having that strong why for why am I doing this? I think that's really when you can start to open up new doors and start to realize what types of opportunities you can actually create for yourself. For me, the the big why was having a place to call my own. So I'd gone from living with a roommate to then living with some more roommates to kind of being floating around. And another big, I guess you'd call it a boundary for me is realizing that I've, I've functioned the best when I have actual space to call home. I've been floating for the last couple of weeks and I've already like, you know, I haven't been, haven't been working out, haven't been doing my yoga because I don't, I've been sleeping on my sister's floor and thank you, Mickey, for having me, but it's not what I need to function properly as myself. And I, when I was getting to the end of last year, I was realizing that I needed that. And so I, I took refuge in Santa Cruz, got myself a place. And as soon as I got there, everything clicked into motion. And it was like, you know, I had my own space. I was comfortable. You know, I could, you know, just, you know, be alone when I needed to. I could see people when I needed to, if I wanted to, but it wasn't a lot and it wasn't often. I was pretty much, if I wasn't surfing and I wasn't doing yoga, I was, you know, reading or in front of my computer being productive, you know, barely ever turned my TV on type of a thing. Cause I was so hyper-focused. I didn't ever really feel like I needed to escape from the work because when I would escape, I would again, be being productive, being meditative, either in a surfing state or in a yoga state. That is really where the power came from. Again, knowing what, what works for me and being able to harness that it was just like the perfect storm of everything that, that I needed and knowing where the boundaries were. And yeah. I think that, I think that when you know that you want something, if you keep doing the same stuff, then you're going to keep getting the same results. And for we've sure. all heard that been said. And I think, so if I, if you put it in the context of like someone living in San Francisco, for example, so much of what we do in, in our lives based on where we're at with the networks that we have and the communities that we have is like going out, getting food, getting drink, partying. Think about like how much energy your body has to consume in order to maintain that lifestyle with the energy that goes into your liver to actually process, just process all that alcohol that we are completely consuming all the time. All the energy that goes into digesting the shitty food that you then eat when you're hungover or when you're drunk and bad sleep that you end up getting when you're intoxicated 
people might pass out, but the sleep that they get is not healthy, good sleep. And that was another thing that I noticed when I was in Santa Cruz, I was barely drinking because I wasn't socializing with seeing people. The sleep that I got was incredible. It was like, it, it was, it was night and day. Like I noticed it, I would just wake up so rested. And then how that translates into the rest of your life, having the energy, having the motivation to actually move, be physical. And then again, that feeds back into, you know, now I'm not only ener- energizing my soul, by giving myself the space and the time that I need to recharge my social batteries, but I'm actually recharging my body and feeling energized and feeling good, feeling healthy, feeling confident. Like imagine what this world would be like. Everyone slept really well all the time. You know, how many, how many mistakes have been made or how many, you know, issues have been caused when people are tired and they're grumpy and they're mad and they say something that they didn't mean to say or they do something they didn't mean to do and that causes an issue and all the problems in the world that come from that. Imagine if everyone on this planet just slept really, really well all the time, just got good sleep, eight hours of sleep when they needed it, how they needed it, and everyone just woke up feeling good and energized and healthy like that. That was the big takeaway from my, my Santa Cruz experience, doing all the things, you know, and, yeah. I, and doing it differently because my whole life, it's it's a lot of it has revolved around drinking and all those things things and substance and all that stuff. And so I think taking it away, you know, even in, in manageable amounts, yeah, it, it, it and, displayed and, a profound difference. And socially for you too, for mm-hmm. context, it's not like, mm-hmm. unless, unless I could be wrong, I, I didn't think you ever been a closet alcoholic, but mm, yeah, right. you just no, mean socially, yeah, 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 but, yeah, it, but right, it, right. it, it shows how <laughs> you never know, man, <laughs> <laughs> but it shows how ingrained it is in our culture and how easy it is to do these things that are kind of social lubricants, but then affect the whole quality of life, you know, and have these really, really intense downstream effects. So that's awesome, man. It's really it, beautiful. It is entrenched. Yeah. Alcohol is entrenched in our society. But I think I've been really inspired by a few people in my life who have recently given up alcohol and seeing the transformations that they have undergone, even in the past short amount of time of them not drinking has been incredible from the inside out. I mean, they are absolutely glowing people that I've loved and cherished for so long that I didn't even know I could love more than I already did. But then wow. seeing the way that they love themselves so much more by not having that poison like in their body, it's really inspiring. It makes yeah. me really wonder. That's beautiful. Like, yeah. I mean, I think there's like so much to gain. For sure, dude. From that. The dude who did my tattoo, Tony over in Mania. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was on a few, like six months and he was so stoked. Yeah. He told me, he's like, dude, just give yourself a chance to see what life is like Yeah, without it. There you go. And see exactly. what it's like. I've seen a big change in myself just over the last couple of years with the rugby example, because I used to be go play rugby and then just, you know, drink beers until the the crow comes home, the cow, <laughs> until the cows come home or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But exactly. dude, last Saturday, man, I went out for a few drinks and I was like, dude, my body feels like I got hit by a truck. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. so I think that's like an example of a boundary of yeah. being able to say no to the socializing for this moment and be like, you know what? I'm good on that. Dude. One other thing I really want to ask you about, I know that during you were talking about, you know, because of all these things, you had this hyper focus. I know what you were focusing on was your path to financial freedom. Mm-hmm. So, I would love if you could share a little bit about, you know, what is financial freedom? Mm-hmm. Is it something that is attainable for everyone? Mm-hmm. And how feasible do you think it is that that someone could achieve that? Dude, sometimes I meet people in my life, they say they're going to do something and I, I just know they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you say, I don't know if it was by 35 or 40, mm-hmm. that you're going to be job free. Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I just know, I, dude, you're that kind of person. You're going to do it, which is beautiful to like foresee something before it happens. So, you know, what is that process and is it something that everybody can can get on board with? Yeah, I'm 30 now. My 31st birthday is uh, in a few weeks on September 3rd. And that's a 10 year plan by the time I'm 40 to be job free, living off of, you know, cash flowing assets. And that's that's the goal. And that's that is what I was burying myself with uh, when I was in Santa Cruz, Mm -hmm. um, learning a lot about that. And so, I mean, financial freedom for me means being able to sustain myself without a job. And I'm sure it means something different for everyone, but it's basically, you know, not being employed, but having enough money that's coming in from through assets Mm -hmm. uh, to then be able to take care of all my expenses and do everything that, that I need and want to do. And do I think it's achievable for everyone? Absolutely. It's achievable for everyone. I think that 
everyone is going to have a different set of hurdles to jump. And I think that we're definitely not all starting from the same starting point. Mm. I think that we all have very different realities in which we live. But I think that if someone really wants to achieve that, if that's someone's goal, then I think that there are avenues available for anyone to do it, especially now with the way that technology is set up. I mean, people could achieve financial freedom, never leaving their couch. You could sit at your desk for the rest of your life and you could be a millionaire. I don't know what that necessarily looks like, but, right, right. Um, but there are ways. There are, it's there feasible. Are, yeah. It's feasible. Yeah. There's, there are ways to do it. For me, real estate is what I'm interested in. I've been in the construction industry my whole career. I am a structural engineer by trade. I've worked for contractors. I've worked for developers, for um, product manufacturers, as you know, obviously. And it really lends itself to getting involved with real estate investing because I understand the business, I think, at a level that will allow me to excel in it. But that is that is the vision for me. But there's a, a million and one ways to do it. If someone's interested in, in the stock market, I've never really been able to tap into it. I don't really have a huge interest in it. But there's there's other ways to do it too. It's all about figuring out your why. Again, going back to the why. Have you seen that YouTube video with the guy who does like the, the three circles, like the why, the how, and the what? Yeah, yeah. If you start out with your why and you have a, you know, a good a good why, then I think that, you know, you can, you can achieve anything. For yeah. sure. Yeah. It's a good thing to think about because I'm now starting a new job and looking at my life and I'm, I'm in a place, I asked that question for myself too, right? Cause I'm trying to figure out mm-hmm. what's my life going to look like mm-hmm. five, 10, 15 years down the line. And it's just good to think about, man. And, mm-hmm. and it's good to know that we don't have to take the, the traditional path necessarily. Yeah. You know, we don't have to be locked into yeah. a job and be dependent on the job for mm-hmm. benefits and yeah. stability. And my, I will work my whole life. You know, you probably will too, just because we like to be busy and yeah. feel accomplished and stuff. But exactly. there is this whole community online, dude, of people who are on that path to financial freedom. And that's yeah. something I want to let people know about. Yeah. You know, there are other options out there. You don't have to just do the corporate thing or do whatever job your whole life and only accept that, like, your salary is your only money you're going to make this year. Totally. Like you, there are ways to generate passive income. Totally. We talk about inequality and kind of creating a more level playing field. Mm-hmm. Dude, financial education, financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Going back to the making our, our country and our world more equitable. Like, mm-hmm. I like to think about solutions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought about recently about, you know, going back to school for now macroeconomics because mm-hmm. I, I love mm-hmm. reading about mm-hmm. you know international trends and development. And I think one like feasible thing that could actually help make everybody in the country a little more level the playing field by at least some small percentage would be just basic financial literacy. Yeah, figuring out this is how much money you have coming in right now. These are your expenses. Yep. And if you go over this, this is what credit does and these are the this is the impacts of having bad, bad credit and this is how your life is going to be impacted in the future with maybe you have kids or you are married and you want to get a mortgage no one explains it to somebody i know it's like again this gets back to the individual responsibility and knowing what you sign up for but the way that credit is just a number on a screen yeah and now that we don't deal with physical dollars anymore yeah it, it, it's easy to yeah to become yeah burdened by debt Dude, you're, you're absolutely right. I think the one of the biggest lessons that I've really gained from my studies so far has been con- gaining control of your finances, which is something that I hadn't done up until this past little episode of all this learning before I even start getting invested in real estate. What I realized is the first thing I need to do is I need to make a budget for myself. I need to actually look at these numbers on paper. It's amazing what a difference it makes. You know, you have all your accounts and you log in, you see the numbers here and there, but when you actually put it all in one place and you put them next to each other and you add and subtract positive what's negative and you see it all laid out and you maybe even make a cash flow for yourself for the next couple of years or whatever, it's amazing what that does to give you some perspective on where you are and what you need to do in order to get to where you want to go. Can anyone do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really take that much money to get started. I think that's one of the misconceptions people have is like, if you want to make money, you need a lot of money to make money. You don't need a lot of money to make money, but all you need is you need good control over your finances. You know, no matter what your salary level is, you can always find a way as long as you're putting money into your savings and your investment pot before you start spending it on frivolous things and you learn how to control where, what you're doing with your life, then everyone can do it. Making a budget is a powerful thing. 
making a budget is really a powerful thing and getting control control of your finances just like what what you just said that's that's really the the step that i'm at right now right that's the first step that i'm at because when you don't have that stuff you know if you're not kind of checking in on it every so often it's easy to just spend a dollar here spend a dollar there and then before you know it you have no, nothing saved that's how I've, I've lived a lot of my life up until recently especially you know when i was living in new york i was living paycheck to paycheck and that was it it was only recently in the last few years that i've actually started being able to save money mm-hmm. not being able to save money but having the whereabouts to actually save the money for myself right for sure man yeah. uh, what i like a lot about what you've talked about today is that these things are all really accessible and relatable so mm-hmm. one Stepping away from forced socialization, step away from drinking. That's a recent thing for you. You've mm-hmm. done that recently. Mm-hmm. Two, as a white person, educating yourself around the racial dynamics of our country and what life is like for somebody, a person of color and those realities. That's a recent thing. That's also accessible. You're on this path, but it's not like you've been doing it for years. And mm-hmm. it, all this stuff is online. Mm-hmm. Three, finances, getting control of your personal finances, making a long-term plan and putting yourself in that path to a financial future. Like, I think the beautiful thing for anyone listening right now is like, at this point, we unfortunately lost some audio due to technical difficulties, but I was just saying how I found it really inspirational, this path of self-improvement that Didi has been on. And the good news is that anyone can do it. Anyone can pursue self-improvement, and the only thing stopping you is your own will and desire to get started. Luckily, the audio comes right back as we're starting the three things game. So my my card says... What are three things you have learned from men? My follow-up to that would be, what does this card mean? Is it men like all men in general or like a specific man? And I know that your answer to that would be whatever I want it to be. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll answer it in three different ways since I have three three opportunities to answer it. Um, so the first thing I'll say like generally from men, or I guess m- maybe even slightly less general, but from those men in my life whom I consider brothers, I have learned how to be a brother. Mm, right. Because I have two sisters. Right. And I've grown up in a very female dominated family household and never had any brothers. So I didn't really know what that was like. And I was always very much a kind of best friend kind of guy. So like I'd have my sisters and I'd have like, you know, every chapter of my life I'd go through and have like one or maybe two best friends. And um, in high school, I had my band and those were my brothers. And when I got to college, I had my pledge brothers and those are my brothers. And um, it was from those guys. And, you know, obviously now you are one of my brothers. And so from men, I've learned what it means to actually be a brother. And right. the differences of what that looks like as compared to a sister. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a very special bond, you know, and I'm grateful for all the guys in my life who I call brothers because, uh, it's a beautiful thing, you know, brotherhood and all that. That's the first one. This, the second one, three things I've learned from, from men, I would say this one I'll, I'll refer to as a specific man. And I'll say my dad who is, uh, has always been my, my hero, my lifelong hero. One of the best lessons he ever taught me and continues to, to teach me to this day. Spend enough time around him. You'll hear him say it, but he always, <laughs> he always says, finish strong. That's his like favorite lesson. Nice. One lesson from from the Deej is uh, to, <laughs> to finish strong, and uh, that's like one of the one of the best lessons I've ever been able to you know take away from from that man and carry with me because it's it's gotten me so far and it's given me so much by having that perseverance to finish things that I start. Mm. Um, I can you know look back on my life and think of so many things that you know I, I saw through and how much benefit I've had from those. So I'm I'm really grateful for that. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for always reminding me to finish strong. The third thing that I've learned from men, and I'm going to throw this one at you, is that despite this kind of, I feel like this kind of plays into the whole bro nouveau theme, but um, it's funny. I've, I've always feel like I've connected better with women than men because of my sisters and everything. And sometimes I'm actually a little bit intimidated by men, uh-huh. especially if I look at like, you know, certain groups of men, like like my big strong men like me like <laughs> like my like my uh, my high school buddies like the guys I played football with you know yeah like sometimes I'm like intimidated when I hang out in that in that group of friends because they're like totally bros yeah yeah they're like super you know, like and like they'll like start wrestling like I remember one time we were at like you know Max Haas's place and like you know two dudes started like wrestling around like that was something that would never cross my mind to like start a wrestling match you know and they got like pretty into it like right you know, they were like angry with each other by the end of it. <laughs> 
one of the things that's always intimidated me about hanging out with guys is just feeling like I didn't really know how to behave as a man. Right. And so one of the things that, um, you know, I appreciate a lot about you. And I think, you know, one of the things I see in myself a lot is that there is a lot of compassion to be given by men. And I think that's kind of what the whole point of this podcast is about, right? It's about vulnerability with men. Like we have that inside of us. And again, going back to those like societal contexts, like we've been kind of, it's been ingrained in us that, you know, being a man means being macho and, you know, bottling up your emotions and all this stuff. But maybe that works for some people, but certainly doesn't work for me. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, man. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. That is the whole point. We need to make it okay for dudes to be human. And we talk a lot about how the structure of the society has, has dehumanized, you know, minorities or women or put them out of, you know, their boundaries being crossed and you know, made to be uncomfortable, but it's been done to men too, mm-hmm. you know, and it's done a very, I'm not like a male rights guy, but I also want to bring some humanity to, to the men's side of the table. And, and mm-hmm. all these men out there who are super stoic and have never cried since they were 13 years old or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that that's tragic in its own way too, mm-hmm. because there's, there is a person in there. There's a, there's a, a human in there, mm-hmm. you know, that wants to get out. Well said. Mm. Well said. I got this question recently. I'm going to get a new one. Yeah, yeah. That's the host right right there. <laughs> okay. Wowza. What are three things I've learned about commitment? There are certain things I'm fearful of committing to, and that's probably something that would be really good to actually talk about in the future, like guys in fear of commitment. What is that about? Biologically, evolutionarily, societal conditioning perspective, What what is that about? And it's interesting. So there are some areas where I I like get skittish about commitment. And there are other times when I can say, like, for example, when I was volunteering at the tea house, I knew I was going to be in San Francisco for another year. And I went up to them and I was like, I'll give you every Wednesday night for the next year. And they were like, whoa. Like, so it's, yeah, there's some stuff I can totally pull the trigger on and be like, like this podcast, like every Thursday for the next year, tune on in. It's going to happen. Yeah, you know, that I'm like feel, feeling comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. So I think the lesson there is that I can commit to things if I'm comfortable with them. So so the things that I'm comfortable with, note that, reflect on it. Maybe that's a strength. The things mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable with or not comfortable committing to, that's an edge for me. That's mm-hmm. something, an area of weakness or something I need to kind of evolve mm-hmm. and grow into. So it can be like a good, refle- like a good mirror maybe. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You say that the things you're comfortable with, but I'm going to draw back to something I said earlier about having a strong why. Could it be that perhaps mm. some of these things that you commit to, it's because the reason why you want to commit to them is the right why? Right. Yeah, that's and not powerful why. For sure. You powerful why makes right? yeah it makes me more willing to to dive in and go for it. Right. And then, you know, I feel like commitments are often talked about in the context of other people. So relationships, employment, a dog responsibility but i think the most important commitments are the ones we make to ourselves man amen and in whether it's on a micro level 10 more reps on this workout these push-ups or whatever or it's a macro level of not drinking for a year i feel like trusting one's own word is really important and being able to say you know what i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to it and knowing that i'm not gonna let myself down i'm not gonna break my own trust that's like well that's that's the good stuff right there beautiful that's the most important kind of commitment perhaps absolutely i love that that's great right on dd totally. well you're the man back at you dude thank you for a lovely conversation and sharing your your time and your uh, perspectives with with the good people thank you so much for having me truly honored it is exciting. You're stoked. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked. <laughs> I'm glad we got to do this before I uh, depart for yeah. España. Totally, dude. A beautiful, uh, beautiful goodbye, goodbye moment. So thank you so much, man. Thank you.